so much fun on this show this is the most fun i have all week is sitting here on monday night talking poker with my poker pals uh this is the rec poker podcast folks thanks for tuning in for another week this is the forums edition of the show where we're going to be talking strategy um so i got to start by thanking our sponsors the wonderful folks at the running aces hotel racetrack and casino uh, without their support, we wouldn't even be here right now. So thanks to everyone there for the great job they do. I also have to thank our premium members because most of what we do here is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization, um, but that we really depend on the support of our premium members. That $15 a month doesn't sound like a lot to you. And let me tell you, it's a bargain compared to some of the other poker sites out there available, but it makes a huge difference to us and even if you never come to the website, even if you never watch a video, even if you never join the book study or the study groups or the strategy discussions or the social events, um, if you enjoy the podcast and you like all the free stuff we put out on YouTube and all our live events and that kind of stuff, consider becoming a premium member and just dropping that 15 bucks a month in uh, to help us out. It sure does help us out a lot. And we really do appreciate the support from all our premium members. Um, in case you don't know, my name's Jim Reed. I've got the best job in the world, like I said. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. And if you want to find out about me uh, or the rest of the Wrecking Crew, the magic makers around here, um, just go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can listen up right now because you're going to meet a few of them right here on the air. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5v5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Rob Washam. You can find me as Rabman50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me at Taylor underscore Moss on Twitter and Gopherboy TJM in the home game. And I mentioned our premium members. Uh, one of the perks of being a premium member is the every week you get to come join the panel here on the podcast for the forums edition. If there's something that's interesting to you, a hand, a, uh, a theory, a strategy, a spot, a forum post, uh, feel free. Uh, we love it when premium members come to join us here on the show. Tonight, uh, we're joined by Eric Anderson, longtime member and prolific forum poster himself. He's also very active in our Discord channel. Um, Eric, why don't you share where Rec Poker Nation can find you if they want to find out a little more about Eric Anderson? Hi. Well, the easiest way to find me is on eanderson85 at uh, rec.poker. Um, and I do encourage all the all the, the members to join these things. It really helps to try to put your thoughts into words. And it's good to – I'm surprised more people don't don't come join this. I'm a little surprised, too. Thanks, Eric, because I find uh, you, you said it, man. It's one thing to watch videos. It's one thing to sort of listen to the podcast, all that passive learning. It's better than nothing. But, um, you know, if Joe Coolis was here, he'd give you a scientific explanation for why this is the case. But your brain, it, it, it works harder. It works more actively when you have to kind of put this these things into your own words, when you have to use a different part of your brain for it. So. Um, my apologies to Joe Coolis. I think Joe, Joe Coolis might put a disclaimer on whatever <laughs> was just described in that last few sentences, too. <laughs> but um, it is, it is, it, it does help. It helps to put things in your own words, to critically analyze things, to be challenged. You know, to actually have your assumptions challenged by other people. That's a that's a key part of learning. And if you just kind of listen along and say, "Oh yeah, that makes sense," 
um, you're not really getting the most out of the material. So thank you, Eric, for coming on the show. And um, yeah, if you're listening along and you and you think this sounds like a fun time, uh, please do come and join us. It's every other Monday night we record these things right after the chats edition of the podcast. And all our premium members are welcome to join. Another one of the perks of our premium membership is that you get to uh, participate in the theme of the month. Every month we have a different theme, and uh, those are brought to you by Chris Jones. Chris runs uh, most of the training material that we put out here, and uh, he's been doing it for a while. He's got it down into a groove. Um, we've been working through the streets this year. Um, we're currently wrapping up the uh, turn street decisions. We're turning over to the river, and we're going to be talking about various exploits and deviations from GTO. But don't don't take my word for it. Chris, why don't you explain kind of what you've been working on lately and what you decided to bring to the table tonight? Yeah. So for, for May, we're really we've been really talking about these sort of bread and butter spots where um somebody opens and a blind defends. So there's a it's a heads up spot, um, single raised pot, um, and sort of how we approach um kind of the decisions as we go along in the streets. Um, for the the hand uh, that we're going to talk about tonight, we're actually going to flip positions a little, but I think there's still some really relevant conversations to be had about river decisions um, in this hand. Um, it, but it, it's a, it's that exact kind of spot. We've got um, an early position opener in this spot and a blind who defends, uh, and we go to flop, we get to a river, and we've got a decision before us. Um so, and that's kind of what we've been doing for several months here at Rec Poker. We've kind of been building on it. Um, and um, I'm kind of, I'm excited to wrap that up. And as you mentioned, in June, we're going to be talking about reads and exploits, which is also really interesting with this uh, spot that we're going to talk about because um, we're going to look at something and um, spoiler alert, there's going to be some factors in here that are going to sort of like maybe weigh our decisions and how much should they weigh our decisions. And I'm, that's something I'm going to be really curious to hear from this uh, group as we talk about it. So, but with all that said, let's, uh, let's uh, set the stage unless you look like you had something to say, Jim. No, I was just going to say that's that's a great point because I feel like we, we study all this, we learn all this stuff. And then we get to the table when it comes to apply it. I think we all feel like we're pulled in all these different directions. Like, Oh, I'm supposed to be worrying about this. I'm supposed to be factoring this in. You know, how do we weigh these different factors? Yeah. Um, that I think that's one of the hardest things about poker, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's kind of like for sure. knowing knowing what, what to prioritize. And I see we're just being joined by uh, Kim Petvet Kilroy, a uh, longstanding member of the Wrecking Crew as well. Kim, why don't you just uh, pop in and tell folks where they can find you if they want to find out more about uh, what you're getting up to? Uh, sure. I'm uh, Kim Kilroy. I'm Petvet. 33 on most platforms, Fergie 56 in the home game. Thanks, Kim. All right, Chris, take us on. So, okay. you, uh, so yeah. So I'm going to talk about this spot before we get into any of the like anything else that happens at the table. I'm just going to talk about it as a pure spot. And let's talk about what we kind of let's get to the river and talk about what kind of decisions we'd make. And then I'm going to show you just I'm going to show a few seconds to the panel a clip of this. We're going to describe it. So if you're just listening, you get a kind of a picture of what, what we're seeing. And then we're going to talk about how that might change our decisions, if at all. Um, okay. So 
uh, the this is from the Inside the Mind of the Pro series, which I think is one of the most it's my favorite series of kind of video content um poker. I think it's a fantastic series. You can go back and watch many years of this. They come to the WSOP, they go to some other great series as well. Um, this particular one is following a French pro named Francois Perrot. Perrot, Perrot. Maybe the Canadians will help me out. P-I-R-A-U-L-T. Is that Perot? Oh, Perot. Yeah, Perot. Perot. Perot? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So uh, following Francois, um, we are in a 5K WSOP uh, event here. Uh, There are 131 left, and there are 114 get paid. So we're getting down to it. Um, And we, our hero, uh, Francois, is sitting in the small blind, um, and has a very healthy stack, has uh, 75 big blinds in their stack. Um, the opponent, uh, who we're going to be our villain in this hand, I guess we'll call them, uh, has 31 big blinds. Um, there are some shorter stacks at the table, uh, but not, not nobody's like really getting town. And we've got a room full of people, so we're not quite sure where we're at. We're not quite at the bubble here. Um, but so anyway, they open off of a 31 big blind stack and it folds to us in the small blind and we have king of spades queen of spades and we elect to flat um fairly uncontroversial we could three bet we could try to bully our way through this especially in this high leverage kind of spot Uh, but i think this is a very typical hand especially in the small blind that we sometimes might flat with um and so that the the our hero elects to do so um and the flop comes 10 of clubs Six of spades, three of diamonds. Um, so we've got one spade, uh, fairly kind of irrelevant, uh, kind of, you know, not a, a flop that's going to hit a lot of any of our ranges um, all that much. Um, the under the gun player uh, bets small, bets a two big blind uh, after we check uh, and we call. Um, and then um, on the turn and and he describes calling this because we've got the backdoor spades we've got two overs it's a very small bet we can uh bully our way through this at this point because we have a lot of leverage in the spot but we don't really need to think about that that much because the turn is the king of diamonds so uh again we had a 10 of clubs six of spades three of diamonds board turn is the king of diamonds um we check and our opponent checks so now we've reached a river um, we've got this kind of marvelous looking, uh, hand we think, um, and there's about 82 K in the pot, uh, at this point, which is about 10, 11 big blinds. Um, and we're, you know, we're sitting very healthy and our opponent still has a, a decent chunk behind and the river is the 10 of diamonds. So a final board of 10 of clubs, six of spades, Three of diamonds, king of diamonds, ten of diamonds. So there's a flush draw that has now gotten through. The ten has paired. Uh, we're still sitting there with a very good king in our hand. Um, this is where I want to kind of open it up before we look at what actually happened. Um, what are your thoughts on if if you know uh, you might have played some of these streets differently? But let's just say we get to this spot, which I think is a reasonable. I think it's very reasonable to get to this spot this way. What are your thoughts now on this river here? So we check the flop 
um, out of position and our opponent fires on 10, six, three. So they're doing that at a pretty high frequency, I think with a large portion of their range. Um, and that includes some tens, like they're, they're definitely doing it with their tens, but they're also doing it with a bunch of air or, you know, just a bunch of other hands. Um, we're clearly calling there. That's uncontroversial. Uh, you've even got the back door straight and stuff like you say, when the King of diamonds comes and we check, it does make sense for them to check back some of those hands that are now losing to a pair of Kings. Cause we have, we have some Kings in our range there. So it's the 10, it's not necessarily, uh, I don't, I don't eliminate the possibility of them having a 10 in their hand just because they check back the turn when the King comes. But until we make an action, they've still only made one aggressive action post flop, which is C betting to a small size on a flop that they should C bet a lot. So I don't think they can have, you know, a set. I don't think they can have. Well, yeah, I don't know. I think they can still have a lot of value in hands, but I don't think they have necessarily like a set that they would have continued with. So mm -hmm. uh, is the question whether we're going to lead out here? Uh, or check those seem i mean obviously at this point those are the only two options yeah i mean those are those are probably <laughs> probably our two options here other than to get up and Straight, leave i guess just, yeah, just, this game's hard <laughs> um yeah i i think i think there's a good chance that we're ahead here if they're not holding a 10 then i mean wouldn't they also bet a king on the turn if they had a king i i think they would so unless they are holding a 10 I think we're ahead. So from my, I'm going to be thinking about what's the best way to capture value here. Is it by leading and trying to get called by, I mean, a pretty thin range of hands from our opponent. Like, what are they going to call with, with two tens and a king on the board? Like pocket jacks isn't in a very comfortable position at that point either. Or just check calling. The more I think about it, the more I kind of feel like check calling is the, and it's the, the way that I would play it in flow. Yeah, I Don't agree. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think it's tough because we're out of position. And like, if you ever are trying to like figure out like, you know, how valuable is it being in position versus out of position? I think this is like the classic example. It's like, hey, you've got top pair on what should be a relatively safe board. Uh, but then you think and like play through things in your head like Jim was. And it's like, okay, you know. Well, if I bet they're going to fold all their worst hands, um, if I check, they might check behind and might, I might not get any value. Like, how am I going to go about getting value uh, with a queen king here? Um, and I think it's pretty tough. Um, and the, I guess, downside for checking here is they're less incentivized to bluff uh, because we are getting close to the money. Like, preserving chip stacks are like, good if they've got pocket eights like they're very happy just like checking this uh down uh as it goes through so um i i still think the check call is like the best option uh because uh like you want to allow them to bluff into you here even though there's probably a low probability that they're going to bluff but i still think like you take that opportunity versus if you bet you're just going to let them play really well against your exact hand what position were they in again? Uh, I'm no small blind, but the other, the, re the razor? Under the gun one, or 
I forget what we're actually supposed to, what, what, whatever the air he's, he's second to act at he, the table. EP. In, in a eight handed or nine handed. Yeah. This is a eight max. So it's eight, eight okay. handed. Thanks. So low Jack. Well, not quite. On it again. Seven. Yeah. And if folks are, uh, <laughs> Eric Jin has recently published a uh, a blog post at the Rec Poker blog, actually going over yeah. his his because this happens all the time. This this terminology about placement and position is so stupid. There's all this ambiguity about what position you're in. So, folks, uh, head on over to the Rec.Poker slash blog and uh, check out Eric's Eric's uh, article there. He, did a he, great he really job, nails a lot of this down. And I can't remember it. So I <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull it up here on the side while we talk about this. Uh, if we're if we're 8 max, the early the first position is EP, then it's low jack, high jack, cutoff, button, small blind, big blind. Right, Eric? Well, low jack is six-handed. So yeah. uh, it'd be undergun so, 7 if we're second to act. Yeah. So whatever's before the low jack. Yeah. Uh, that's but, what we're talking about here. I, I think anyway. the question I think the question to ask here is what what is he gonna bluff? I mean, if he's got an ace, is he gonna bluff? If does he have a busted straight? He's still got good showdown value. I don't know if he's gonna bluff anything here, especially with ICM. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe he's gonna bluff his really good like he if he has the ace of diamonds, that seems like mm-hmm. a really good bluff. Um so you know, like ace queen with the ace of diamonds. That seems like a, a pretty good bluff candidate. Um, you know, we don't know if this kind of player, this player is is the type to do that, but um, that that's something that we're maybe trying to capture. Um, are they going to bet their weaker kings, or are they going to call their weaker kings? That's going to be player dependent, I think. I'm well, kinda, I'm kind of oh, struck. I'm kind of struck by by the uh, flop itself, the texture. If you recall, we talked about C-betting, um, and this looks like a texture where we should be over-betting the, the flop, right? Our C-bet should be, I mean, optimally, the yeah. solver would say that we Big. should be betting this more. Now, he bet what? Quarter pot. Yeah, he bet really small. So he bet very, very small. So is this a recreational player? Is he a professional player? Um, you know, where is this really tiny bet coming from? Mm-hmm. ICM so, is going to bring that bet size down. Like ICM true. is going to squish all that. Like you, if you talk about other situations where it's like normal situation should be an over bet, ICM is going to squeeze it down. Probably not to a quarter of sort gonna, of pot yeah. bet, but like, <laughs> you know, maybe over bet goes to two thirds and, you know, the right. larger sizings go to half. And then even like your like really small sizings probably go to like a single big blind. Uh, in these right. types of situations. So he bet really small in comparison to what the flop texture says a solver would tell you to do based on that flop texture. Mm-hmm. So um, my guess is that he is just see betting this flop because it doesn't look like it hits anybody. Another thing we need to keep aware of is the fact that we call from the small blind and not the big blind. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. means our range is going to be much smaller than we would if we had called from the big blind. Mm-hmm. So um, it's probably less likely that the, he's worried about the flop hitting us as much as he would be if we were in the big blind. Mm-hmm. So he could bet a little smaller, try to get a little value out of just whatever, whatever. 
And so that now we get to the now we get to the turn and we get the king. Um, and I say that we should check this, like you guys talked about, and let him bet into us. And it's definitely a call, yeah, a check call at this point. So, so I think what I'm hearing fairly strong consensus is that we should check with the intention of check calling. Um, and so, Kim, no, you no. Uh, we're talking about the river right now. Yeah, on the river. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we bet small, like a third That's pot. Small. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with the with the intention of getting called by pocket nines and pocket yep. eights. Yep. And especially okay. those that. Yeah, have a diamond. Yep. Right. 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 I'm in. Okay. I'm in the donk donk camp too because I just don't think he's going to bluff. Yep. Yep. Um, well, let me just tell you what happens, and then uh, uh, I think either we're leading here or we're check calling. Um, any any other any other thoughts about what we might do? I started to get really worried worried about check calling here, honestly. Um, the more that I like thought through this and like the board run out that it is, um, like the diamonds are scary. Um, what does our opponent check again with us diamonds. on the turn? You Why think he bets turn again? on the turn? Sorry. You mean? Yeah. Because because yeah. of ICM, like it, it's not really worth bloating the pot uh, in these ICM situations. Like uh, normal other spots. I'm totally with you. I just think I I'm, I have concerns that ICM would dictate uh, a lot more passive actions on the turn here, um, especially with like strong draws. So let me ask you this. Would anybody check fold this? I was honestly like starting to like hesitate towards it, especially if they use a bigger sizing, like a smaller one. Uh, I don't know. I just, we don't think they're bluffing. Like we keep using that like phrase, like we don't think they're bluffing. We don't think they're bluffing. Well, if they bet river, like they're not bluffing. Like they've got strong hands. Maybe they've got ACE 10. Maybe they've, they've got uh, the diamond draw that came in. Like I'm, I'm second guessing myself a lot here. This is why I say lead, like we lead this yeah. river. For I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of flipping now. And like, we I, can I, always fold if we got raised. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's part of it. Like if we, if we lead, it's, it's a lead, it's a bet fold, right? There's mm-hmm. no, we're not yeah, calling sure. any races. If we yeah. Do. 100%. Right. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to put them on a weaker King because I feel like that King would probably bet the turn when the flush draw comes. And yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I think that, I think that does make a lot of sense too. I, I would, if, I would check diamond smaller sizing check full to larger sizing. That makes sense to me as well. What were you saying, Rob? If he had diamonds, would he bet the turn? If he had the Sometimes. diamond flush drop? Sometimes, for sure. I know Taylor's saying because of ICM, he might just try to realize his equity. But, you know, that's depending I'd on if a diamond he, comes. Yeah, I'd say he'd have to have exactly the ace-10 of diamonds to do that. Yeah, where he's already got hit the ten, bet it. Now he a king comes, but his equity's kind of better. But now why get blown off mm-hmm. if he gets raised? If he bets and gets raised, right? Well, and he can't. He can't have it. Well, no, he can't, he can't have the he can't ten. Have ace ten. 
Because the because ten of diamonds is the river. Ten of diamonds. Right. Is, I yep. was talking about on the turn. On the turn. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. Well, let me tell you what what actually happens, um, and then we're going to talk about this a little bit more. So, um, um, our hero checks. The villain bets about uh, three quarters pot, um, and uh, our hero folds. Um, and he he talks a lot about what we've talked about here, uh, knowing that in theory land this is like a pure call. Like you you just you're getting blown off the doors if you're folding this too often. Um, but there's one particular spot of this hand that I want to talk about. Uh, this is the part where I'm gonna. I want to show you this. Um, unless we want to talk about the decision before we, before we jump into that, because I want to talk about one thing that he notices that helps him make this decision. So I'll just remind our listeners: um, we do put these episodes out on YouTube, and Chris is going to kind of share a short clip here. We'll describe it for our audio listeners, but uh, do come check out the YouTube channel, um, and you'll you'll benefit out of uh, seeing the visual element of this as well um i will say it does feel like there's nothing about this action that makes me think oh yeah he definitely doesn't have a 10 like this is like this is very consistent with a 10 and uh if he doesn't have a 10 we're likely ahead but there's still all sorts of ways we can do that all right so and i, I i'm not sharing the sound um so we're just gonna kind of watch this um but I want you to look at the way. So this is villain. Villain's on our screen right now. We're looking at our villain, and we're going to watch the way that villain handles their chips, uh, and talk about this a little bit. Um, and I'm not going to play the whole clip because we we got a time crunch. But here, so basically, here, let's just watch how villain handles their chips. Uh, we this is on the river. We've checked to them, um, and if, the decision is on our our villain here. So this is the end of the gun player that we're looking at here. Yeah, we're looking at the end of the gun player. Here's a very close up. We're looking at their chips. Um, they put about uh, twenty thousand on the table. Now they put forty thousand. Looks like they're going to put forty thousand in the middle. Then they put another ten on there, another ten, uh, and then they put it out in the middle. So basically, the way that I would describe this, uh, and somebody else can help describe it as well is they cut out a little bit and then they just keep adding a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. It's like they're sort of like doing some sort of like calculation in their head. Um, I'd be curious what anyone, I I, I won't spoil what uh, the, the pro talks about this, but uh, is this something that you ever look for? And is it something that uh, is, there, is there any way that people sort of construct their bets is this something that you're kind of looking for? And what does it tell you? Yeah, I, um, man, what was it, two years ago? Uh, I made the final table for the Learn Pro Poker WSOP staking. Um, and I grabbed a lot of people here uh, and had me uh, review hands and do as much as we could versus my opponents. Um, and I caught some similar things, uh, although online versus line. But I caught similar tells for my opponents where they would go like half pot and like click up like one or two extra half big blinds on there. And like that person that I found that read for, like that was always value. 
when they would click up a, a few more extra half big blinds or you know a full big blind and then every time they went half pot it was very conducive of a bluff um where they would just click the half pot and make that bet size um and to me this kind of feels similar where it's like that opponent that I had that read on was like, okay, you know, I've got this hand. Let, let's, you know, let's go up a little bit more. And it feels like that's what this opponent is doing, counting out chips, adding a little bit more, going a little, like how much, how much do I think I could get from a King here? Okay. You know, I'd go here. Well, you know, King. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe an extra 10, 20,000 on top of here and then making their bet. It's very interesting. I, I, I've never like broken it down in live play, but like that was the first thing that came to my mind. It was like, Hey, just keep adding an extra big line on top there. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like a string bet where, you, you know, you, you put some chips out there and you look to see how they react and then you add some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Does, was he watching uh, Francois? Francois's reaction to the chip stack as he kept adding to it? Or was he, because you couldn't really tell there if he was Yeah, you could observing. only see his hands there, right? Right, right. Or what about, okay, I'm going to have to bet here. I want to win this pot. I'm going to bet this much. No, hang on. That's probably not enough. I'm going to add more. No, I, I really want him to fold. I'm going to have to bet this much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the part. This is what I come to because it's obviously he's decided he has to bet or he's, he's decided he's going to bet. He's decided he's going to bet. We don't know if it's for strength or for value or as a bluff. And then I, I, I agree with Taylor. He's sort of keying in on okay, if my opponent has a king, how much will they call? Or how much do I need to put in for them to fold a king? This is the problem. This is why I have a problem with this as a tell, mm -hmm. because all we know is that they're calibrating up their bet size, but we don't necessarily know that they're doing it for value as a bluff. There's an argument, I think, that says if it was a bluff, they would maybe just like start with a bigger size. You know what I mean? Because they don't want to give the impression, ah, but I just, it, it seems like such a hard thing to really weigh to, in the decision-making process. Because a lot of the, another, a lot of the other, a lot of the other elements of the hand are saying, this is a pretty standard call. I mean, I, and you can go watch the episode and, and see for yourself and hear the uh, Francois analysis of this. Um, but it ultimately he's he's kind of in the same camp as us. He's feeling like, where is where am I getting the value? Where are the bluffs coming from? There are a few out there. Is this player really making this move as we're kind of getting into this spot? This feels like a value heavy spot. And then he describes this action that the player takes as a very value heavy sort of action that people who make bluffs usually have it an idea in their mind. They 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 don't want to draw attention to themselves and they just sort of like put their bet out. Whereas the people who are like sort of taking this and putting a little pile on and at, they're like trying to figure out how much can I get paid? Cause I'm, I've got something here. Um, and so whether he's right, we never know. I mean, he folds and the player wins the pot. Um, but I think it's a really interesting spot. And it's a really interesting way to think about some of our river decisions. And honestly, it's something I have never, ever, ever looked at. And like how I've looked at people who look nervous or how they handle their chips, but like how they construct their bet in a, that mm. physical way is something that I've never paid any attention to. It's, and it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to think about. 
You see, he should have led the trip. (laughs) (laughs) But then when the guy makes the bet, he has to sit back for two minutes and watch the breathing. You love that. You love that Ryan LaPlante trick. That is a good one. And I guess, I guess that, that, but, but that doesn't solve the problem for me because then a player who's going to bluff the river when checked to is also going to, at some frequency, bluff raise a blocker bet on the river too, right? Like, do, do we gain enough certainty that we're behind if we blocker bet and they raise? I don't know. I just feel like at this level, it's a 5K entry. (laughs) Sorry. Still watch for two minutes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I mean, you could do this too, right? You could, you could, when when you check and they bet, you could watch for two minutes and see if that pulse goes down. But I, I this is a problem I have with live poker because I play a lot more online than I do live, and I never know. Just because they're calibrating something. That doesn't necessarily tell me that they're calibrating for value or for a bluff. So I feel like this puts me in jail all the time. And this is where the exhausting part of poker comes in. Cause if you pay attention to showdowns and everybody mm-hmm. else playing, you might catch that in another hand and mm-hmm. have it in your pocket, but it's so hard to, to do that for, especially for days on end. Oh yeah. 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 yeah it's a cool spot though, Chris. I like that. It just goes to show. I mean, I guess we don't know if it was or wasn't, but it goes to show that there's value to be had in, in like Eric is saying, in that careful observation of even the most minute elements of, of play. And I think it also goes, I mean, part of this, I, why I wanted to bring this is like, it's a, it's a big river decision. It's a big kind of spot, but it's also one of these where like, we know our theory and then we're going to sort of adjust, right? We're going to make some adjustments and say, okay, this is wh- whether we would lead or check call, you know, I think either one of those is probably arguably, I probably a solver does a mix of those things. I haven't actually looked it up, but I probably there's a mix there in some way, shape or form. Um, and I think probably either one is fine and correct. Um, but I think a check fold is arguably pretty wrong here in, mm-hmm. in theory land. Um, yeah, feels like it. But in a but, but I think in this situation, based on the reads and and sort of the situation that we're in, close to ICM, how many bluffs is this player really going to have in reality? Um, and noticing the way that they handle their chips, I think it becomes a very interesting decision and a pretty, I, I probably exploit a fold. Yep, it's it's a tricky one. Uh, I did pull up Eric Jin's uh, blog post here. So, folks, if you go to rec.poker slash announcements slash blog, because that's just such a super handy URL to remember, um, you will find uh, one of the articles recently published by Eric Jin. And on a nine-handed table, uh, Eric's theory is that stop counting back from the blinds, start counting forward from the button. And just you'll you'll you won't have to worry about this anymore. So for Eric, the nine-handed table positions are button, cutoff, hijack, low jack, MP, EP, under the gun, big blind, and small blind. And I do like it's just it's just very clear. There's no under the gun plus one, under the gun plus two. Um, you just start at the button and you work your way back. Button, cutoff, hijack, low jack, MP, EP, under the gun. Um, and that does work well. 
And a little Easter egg, if you're an Eric Jen fan, Binkley in the in the Rec Binkley on Twitter and Com Binkley in the home game. If you're sitting ten handed, the the real under the gun seat he calls the hostage, which I really like. <laughs> so go check that out. Check that out if you like. And he's he's got a diagram up there, and he's also got um, a six max variation that just makes it just very obvious for how to adjust from current terminology. So. Uh, good work to Eric Jim for that. And uh, I hope that we're able to adapt this in the poker world because we need this. Uh, as you can see, there's all this ambiguity about table positions. So hopefully we can uh, clear some oh, of that up. So in this hand, the guy was actually EP then. <clears throat> I think that's right. Yeah. Because uh, Francois was the small blind and he's two to his left. So he had to be the EP. There is no under the gun in an eight max table. There you go. That's it. All right. Uh, Chris, any final thoughts before we ro roll on out of here? All right. Well, then um, this is another great example of just the tip of the iceberg. Some of the uh, learning material that's available here at rec.poker. Come try out our premium membership and uh, head on over to rec.poker slash crew if you want to see more of these smiling faces and learn more about the magic makers here behind the scenes. Um, so I got to thank again, Eric Anderson, Rob Washam, Kim Kilroy, uh, Taylor Moss, Chris Jones, and of course, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and you, the listeners. We couldn't do it without you, and we wouldn't even think about it. So thank you again. See you all next week.